0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, guys. Um, I, I wanna, there's no uh, evening service tonight because we want you to be with your families, go out and, um, and, and be with them. But after church, guys, we do have some, a lunch after church, a meal, barbecues. we're celebrating the 4th and just want to encourage you in community as we are trying to get back to all that we used to do. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you to stay after, grab something to eat after. Open up to John, the 15th chapter. For those that have been in the church a little bit, in the Word a little bit, this is a famous chapter out of the Gospel of John you have your Bible, it's a New Testament, fourth book into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the 15th chapter. Um, we're going to be looking at that this morning as we've been doing a sermon series to, on discipleship, what it means to be a disciple and, and be a follower of Jesus. And my title this morning is called A Disciple Bears Much Fruit. A Disciple Bears Much Fruit. Uh, for many of you know, Julie and I, we've been kind of doing a remodel in our house, in our backyard, we have a slope. And on that slope, we used to have these like four huge trees. And we realized that something wasn't right with those trees. We weren't sure what was going on. So we called a, a specialist in to come take a look at the trees because it looked like they were dying. And so the specialist came out and looked and goes, oh yeah, they're dying. You, you you have to to cut them down because they're, they're going to die. And as so we said, okay, taking the counsel of these wise people wise tree inspectors we we cut down our trees to the stump because we, we thought they were gonna die but what happened was that these trees begin to grow back it, 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 they begin to have begin to have life after the last few months and they're stronger and they're and they're healthier and i thought wow what was the key to their survival the key was not in the branches but in the roots the, the roots are the unseen part. We we're only looking at what we could see. We couldn't see what was going on underground and, and what was going on with the roots. In John chapter 15, we're going to discover there's an illustration going on and that the, the branches are the believers of the vine. We're supposed to be that Christ then is the root of the vine. And the root is the unseen. And our life is hid with Christ, and the root bears the tree. Paul writes this in the book of Romans chapter 11. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That the root supports you. Our life support is found in our abiding relationship with Christ. We are to be rooted in him. We've learned this, that the cost of discipleship is high. That, that, that the disciplines of discipleship is crucial, and the fruit of discipleship is required. And so we're getting into really the meat and potatoes of what it means to, to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. A disciple bears much fruit, meaning there's some evidence to your faith. There's follow-through to your faith. And we know that the fruit is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the work of love, which is the abiding sustainability of our faith. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask this morning as we enter into your word, as we continue our worship with the study of your word, as we look at John, the 15th chapter, Lord, I pray you bring to life this visibility. I pray you bring to life what, what it means to walk with you, what it means to be connected to the vine as branches. What does that look like? How do we live it out? How do, how do we get sustainability? And so I pray for your saints this morning. I pray for your disciples this morning. I pray for your hearers this morning. They would get a full understanding of the meaning of your word. But just not understand it. Just not put it in our heads. Put it in our hearts. And so we thank you. We praise you. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. We look again three things this morning as we look at John 15. Number one, the work of the vine dresser. We see it in, in John the 15 chapter verses one through three. Jesus, uh, Julie and I, like I said, we we're remodeling our house and we made a, a small garden. And we only made a small garden for two reasons, right? And we, we and number one, is that we don't have a green thumb. We don't have a green thumb. And number two. I'm too busy to be mowing lawns and doing all this work out there in the ministry. So what we did is we began to plant these succulents in our garden, these desert plants, because it only takes like one time a month to water them and they they would grow, right? So it doesn't take a lot of, of time. We were novice gardeners and stuff. So what happened is one of the plants that we planted, which we didn't know, was the fire stick plants. Some of you already know what that is. I didn't know this, but the fire stick plant, if you break it, it has like some stuff in it that it's actually dangerous. It's a dangerous plant that if you get it in your eyes, you can go blind. In fact, it's it's dangerous. It kills things. I'm a novice. I was planting things that were dangerous. I was planting things that could kill things. I have a dog that probably could have ate that plant and died. But as a novice, I didn't know that, that I planted this thing. It's good to know, it's good to know that we have a God who is not a novice, novice gardener, a novice vine dresser, That he knows how to care for the garden. That his sole purpose is to nurture and care for his creation so that it becomes a thriving, life-giving plant. This parable is Jesus' description of what it means to have a life-giving walk with God. And he is the gardener. And he is the gardener. Let me give you some context as we're reading the Gospel of John. Jesus is only hours away from being arrested. He's on his way to the garden, and he's walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has many visual aids as he could look into the temple and the door, and they were engraved, the vines on this wall, artistic engraving of vines on the door. As he looked out across the Kidron Valley, as he looked across to the gardens and uh, and, and we see here, there are a lot of vineyards out there. And he takes this visual illustration and he begins to describe what it means to have an abiding relationship with God using the vines and the branches. He's paying a picture here to his disciples as they're walking up to the mountain, to the mountain of olives, if you might say. He's illustrating what it means to be connected to God. And so we're first going to have to do this as we're talking about the vine dresser. We have to define the relationship. You ever dated and you have to have that conversation, let's define the relationship? Come on, we're going to have to define the relationship this morning with your relationship with God and the vine dresser and the vines and the branches. Let's lay it out so we get clear clarity of what this parable really means. So let's define the relationship in verse 1 and 2. It says, I am the vine... And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it bear, may bear more fruit. Let me give you the players in the story. Let me define the relationship. Number one, Jesus is the vine. You might even say He's the root. God the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, and we are the branches. Let's look at God the Father. Let's look at the vine dresser for a moment and his role. He's the one that tends to the garden. He orchestrates the beauty. He cultivates the relationship between him and his people. You only have to look at the Old Testament to look at his relationship with the Israelites and his love for the Israelites. In fact, Isaiah the prophet spoke of Israel as the Lord's vineyard, and he was the gardener. But we know, Oftentimes Israel didn't bear good fruits. In fact, it described it as wild fruit in Isaiah 5, 1 and 2. Jeremiah called it a corrupt wild vine in Jeremiah 2, 21. What we're saying was he had some rebellious children in the Old Testament. And we look at that. But the vine was also the symbol of the coming Messiah. It was a symbol of the coming Messiah. So we see this idea of the, the gardener and the vine here, the vine dresser. But he describes this. He describes Jesus as the true vine John does. John, the author of the book, said Jesus is the true vine. We have this gardener. But so let's look at the vine and the relationship with the vine. Jesus is the true vine because Jesus is God in the flesh. We see that here. He says, I am the true vine. It opens up in verse 1 and 2. I am. There's a lot of I am's in the Gospel of John. There are a lot of I am's of Jesus describing who he was. He said, I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the true vine he made all these claims of who he was in scriptures, and we're called to be rooted in the true vine. So the gardener is God the Father, the vine is God the Son, and the branches are the believers in Christ. the branches. now, there are two types of branches here we're going to get it to in a moment. two types of branches. Those who bear fruit and those who do not. You see that in the story. Those who bear fruit and those who do not. Those that are in Christ and maybe those that are outside of Christ. We know that the, the branches that bear fruit are, are genuine believers. They're genuine believers. Remember, there's the context here. They're going to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to Mount and the 11 disciples are with him. Where's Judas? Judas is already gone to portray Jesus. So only the 11 are with him at this moment, these true believers. The branches that do not bear fruit are those who profess maybe to believe but have no fruit. They they lack genuine salvation. Think about Judas, who's now not in the picture. He's not in the picture. He's cast away and thrown into the fire of judgment. We'll read that later in verse 6. He's the son of perdition in in Acts chapter one. We see each of these roles in the story. Let's, Let's bring this together as we talk about the role of the vine dresser here. Let's look at the work of the vine dresser. Look at verses two and three. I'm gonna go all the way back to when I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me, that's Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he, that's the father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Let's break this down a little bit because I want you to see the work of the, of the gardener here in a minute. The gardener cares compassionately. God the Father loves you compassionately. Notice the gardener's desire here. The gardener's desire. He tends to plant that doesn't bear fruit so it can begin to bear fruit, to ultimately bear more fruit. Do you see the progression in the parable here? No fruit, some fruit, more fruit. I often say this, God the Father has a green thumb, right? He's setting up an ecosystem of, of success, and this gardener does three things to bring about success, and I think he does this in our own life as a gardener. Number one, he lifts up. He lifts up. In fact, the word takes away actually actually means and translates to, to lift up. Notice that the, the weaker branches that needed a little assistance to be lifted up so it can get a little sun so it can grow. Oftentimes when you have branches and vines, they begin to tilt. They begin to walk. And these vines on these branches would become heavy and they would go to the ground. And so when the gardener would come, he didn't want to step on those vines. He didn't want to trample them down. So what he would do is the gardener would lift them up so the back up so they could see the light of the sun so they could be picked up. God oftentimes today in our life, and we face all these difficulties, need to be lifted up a little bit. Some of us might even feel like we're dragging this morning, and you've been through a lot, and yet you just need a little pick-me-up, right? Don't go to the stimulants. Don't go to the monster drinks and the medication or the the, the, the drug stimulants. Some of us take self-initiative to to get our own pick-me-up, but God the gardener, God the Father wants to lift us up this morning in the midst of our difficulties and our struggles, but not only does he lift up, he prunes, he prunes, right? He prunes, he cuts back for most growth. See, the problem with my idea of being a novice, is, I looked at the tree, I didn't realize that all the tree needed in my backyard was a little pruning to, to cut off the dead branches that were affecting the growth of that tree. There are things that God needs to cut away that we would be more effective. There are things that God needs to prune that we could Grow right. He, God wants to cut away those things that hinder your fruit bearing. It's a it's a cleansing process for the believer. It's a spiritual purging. It's a it, 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 the word purging actually means catharsis. It's actually a, it means a release or an emotional release. The pruning actually in our life, the purging of what God wants to. Will affect our emotions. It's the pruning the heaviness of the things we've allowed in our lives. If you allow God to prune it up, will bring some emotional relief. So man, the Bible says, you know, all these are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. That's given to him, well, it's the pruning process by which God brings relief. Maybe some of you are going through heaviness and emotional things in your life that God just needs to prune away some of those things. That life is a little lighter. He wants to cut away the dead weight. Sometimes he might just need to cut some relationships. Sometimes he might just need to cut social media. Sometimes he might need to cut some video games. You fill in the blank what he might just need to cut to give you some relief. In fact, God will allow storms in your life to purify you. Trials and tribulations to get your attention. We know that the pruning process can be painful. We know that the pruning process can be painful, but it is part of the discipleship process. It's part of the refining process, right? For some of you in the military, you go to boot camp, right? That's painful. You have to exercise. You have to work. You have to run. You got to go through obstacles. You got to go through things that are a part of the disciplines of a soldier, but you have to endure that to be stronger. But it can be painful. God will take us through these disciplines, these things in our lives, so he'll be able to strengthen us. In fact, the pruning process of painful, Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. <laughs> but later it yields the peace of fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right, you as parents have to discipline your kids. Right, they don't like it. Right, they don't like being disciplined. They don't like to be for those who spank, spank, or for those who put on time out, time out. They don't like those things, but that discipline is good for them. They may not like the pain, but later they will bear the fruits of righteousness. So, He lifts up, He prunes and he waters. That's what a gardener does. Lifts up, prunes, and he waters. Right? Right? What does it mean by he waters? What did Jesus, Jesus had been discipling the the 11 and the 12. For three years, he's pouring his life into them. He's teaching them. He's instructing them. He's giving them the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he talks about the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He, he tells stories. He, he gives illustrations. He's watering them with the word. He's watering them with the truth. He's, he's allowing them to quench their thirst. The woman at the well needed a little water. She kept going to the same water and thirsting again. But Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again because I am the living water for I am the way, the truth, and the life. Drink of this water. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was to to sanctify them with with the truth, for my word is truth. The word of God is the sanctification process for you. We studied that, the role of disciple in the word, and the need for the word, because the washing of the word refreshes us. It cleanses us. It sanctifies us. It encourages us, it edifies us, it builds us up, it helps us grow. It's the fertilizer that stimulates our growth. It condemns sin and aspires holiness, which produces growth. Husbands, you're called to, to wash your wives with the word in Ephesians chapter 5, of the teaching of the words as heads. Fathers, you're called to wash your family in the word as heads of the family, to wives, the wives and the children, as leadership. I often take my car to the car wash on the corner here. And it's a very interesting that you get to sit in your car. That is now where you get to sit in your car, and you drive up, and you put your car in neutral, and it takes you through this washing process as you sit in the car, and the car, the water comes on it, and it washes it, it cleanses it, it puts the soap on it, and then it vents you, rinses it, and then it dries it, and you come all out clean, right? Guys, in some way, the word is the car wash of our life. We sit in it and we let it wash us. We let it cleanse us. We let it do all that it needs to do in us as we rest and abide in him. See, I was resting and abiding in my car. I did nothing but the work of the washing was happening by the water that was going on. I abide in Christ and God does some cleansing as I abide in him. That's the, that's the washing of the word. Psalm 1, 2, and 3 says, But delight in the law of the Lord, or the word of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That tree is by the water, by the rivers, the water comes up from the roots. And he bears fruit, what? In seasons. What season are you in? What fruit do you need to bear in the season that you are in? If you're not abiding and you're cut off, you're not bearing the right fruit for the right season. That's important as God is ministering to you. So we see the work of the the vine dresser. Let's look at the work of the vine in verses 4 through 7. A young man was convicted of a DUI. It was sentenced to community service. And his task was to show up. His task was, to, was when he showed up, he was to paint yellow lines down the middle of a newly constructed road. So he grabbed a gallon of paint, a roller, and began his community service. And, and the first day, he covered about two miles, and the sheriff was watching, was impressed. The second day, he covered about a mile, and, the, and then the sheriff was satisfied, but less impressed. But on the third day, he only covered a fourth of a mile. And the sheriff, disappointed in the young man's efforts, said, you haven't painted as much of the road as you did on the first day. What's the problem? And the young man replied, I've been painting more, but the bucket keeps getting farther and farther away. Listen, all that God has called us to accomplish in his life is only made possible by our union and ongoing communion with Christ. We as Christ's disciples are to be constant dependency and communion with him. And the further we drift from Jesus, the less productive we'll be in the kingdom. So the first thing he challenges us is this abiding relationship with Christ. We see that in 4 and 5. It says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He's laying out an economy here. He's laying out a value system here. He's laying out some truths here. If you see it, if you can see it, God, open our eyes that we may see. The word abide in me translates remain in me. See, to abide in Christ is a choice. It's a choice. Are we going to abide in Christ? We can or we may not choose not to. It's submitting our our will to God. And there is an applied understanding in the text for the disciples that They are to build an intimate relationship with Christ. It's a mutual relationship, he and me and I and him. That's the relationship. And there needed to be a connectedness to Christ, a true love story. Like the song of Solomon, I am in my beloved and my beloved is in me. There's a love relationship with God. And so we see that the vine and the branches are interconnected. The vine and the branches are, are interconnected, right? The vine is the life support for the branches. Branches cannot bear fruit of itself, it cannot. The, the disciples' life is sustained by Christ. He is the vine. The fruit we bear comes from Christ. Branches don't bear fruit because apart from Him, we can do nothing. But pastor, there's a lot of of people who do good. Yes, they do good. Maybe because they want to feel better about themselves. Maybe they want to build a name after themselves. Maybe it's a part of their network and building good reputation. They're branding themselves. But anything apart from Christ and for his glory doesn't fit God's economy. It has no eternal value. That's what he's saying here. But a disciple, a disciple in Christ bears much fruit, right? He bears the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, right? The sharing of the gospel, that's what we prayed for this morning that John led us, bearing the fruit of our sharing. We talked about last week, sanctification of holiness, the the fruit of holiness in Romans 6.22, the fruit of generosity in Romans 15, 27, and 28. The fruit of our lips of worship in hebrews thirteen five the fruits of righteousness in james three eighteen, but ultimately it 's the fruit of love it's the fruit of love look at galatians five twenty two and twenty three but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness, goodness faithfulness gentleness, self-control, against us things there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions, desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. People often ask me, how do you know whether you're saved or not? How do you know? What's the mark of a believer? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you're not doing this, if that's not the fruit of your life, I would question your salvation. Because it has to be evident. there has to be evidence, there has to be evidence of love in your life there has to be evidence of caring in your life there has to be evidence of this character in your life because it doesn't come from you it comes by his spirits it comes from the vine it comes from God it is a gift that we get this spirit. Jesus said, "I must go that a, another m- would come the, the gift of the spirit, the gift of love, the power of love that's inside of you is to be lived out. but what happens? When we fail to have this abiding relationship. What happens? We have a disconnected relationship. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out his branch and withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. People don't like to hear that verse. Like, man, that's scorching, right? Oh, that's not very loving. Those are words of heart. It's red letter edition in your Bible, right? If you haven't followed your Bible, right? Jesus' words. Jesus don't mix words. He's not trying to be politically correct in the time. He's going to just speak the truth because the truth will set your feet. And he speaks it in love. Disconnectedness will lead us to death. Right? Next to Hope House is a tree over here. And it has oranges on it. Right? And if I go over to the tree and I break off one of the branches with the oranges on it and I bring it into the sanctuary, say, hey guys, check out the fruit of this tree on this branch. I'm going to plant it right here. On the sanctuary stage, and next week we're gonna see more and more fruit next week. We think I'm crazy. Right? That's not true. Pastor Peter, you lost your mind because if you break off the branch off the trunk or the vine of that tree, it has no sustenance, it will wither and die. The same thing with us, guys. If we disconnect from the vine, we will wither and die. We will not bear fruit. But we have some this morning who choose not to remain in Christ, not to abide in him. What's the consequences when we disconnect from God? What's the consequence when we fail to abide, right? Now, there's a lot of theological interpretations of this verse. I'm going to cover just three of them real quick. Because, guys, you have to begin, as you read the scriptures, kind of land where you think you land on it. Right? Some think... It's a reference to disciples who never bore fruit and are cast away to hell. They're not doing anything. They're separate from God. They're not born again. They can make a confession. They can could, they could say, I believe in Jesus, but they're not bearing fruit. They have no desire, nothing like that, and they just, they're separate from God for all eternity. Some think it's a reference to those who appear to be disciples and are cast out to hell. If you read the book of Acts, there was a sorcerer who was believed in Jesus and was baptized, but then later wanted to buy the Holy Spirit, and Peter rebuked him and said, get out of here, bro. You know what I mean? They put on an appearance, but they're far from God. Some think this is a reference to the fruitless disciples whose lives were wasted, but didn't lose their salvation, right? That they didn't invest in the gifts and the fruits that God has given them. They just wasted their time. In fact, fire is a term used for testing, and it's also used for judgments, that terminology. People say, oh, man, I'm just going through the fire. So it could be a refining fire. But I'm, I'm reminded of, of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. It says this, For there is no other foundation that can anyone lay that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone built on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stone, wood, hay, and straw... Each one's work will become clear on the day, um, for the the day will declare it. The day is a big D, meaning a judgment day, okay? For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each man's work of what its sort it is. If anyone's work which is built on endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. What is this saying? He's basically saying is God on the judgment day, God's gonna test our authenticity, our motives for what we do. If we do it in Christ and for the love of God, then we get a reward. But if we do it out of any other selfish motive or anything, it's gonna be burned up. But we're not lost, it doesn't, we're not saved by our works. So though the reward will be burned up, you still enter into the kingdom. We won't lose our salvation. And so the, the, the idea here is the fact that the idea of castaway, the idea of those types of things, Lord, let me just choose you and walk in the fruit of the Spirit so I don't take any chances, right? If I'm just walking the Lord and walking in love, I don't have to worry about those theological perspectives because I'm bearing fruit of the Lord. I'm bearing fruit of the Spirit. I'm abiding in the vine. That's easy to try to live in fear. Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? What's the theological ramification? Let's just walk in the Spirit. Let's just abide with Jesus. You don't have to worry about any of those other things. But this abiding relationship, guys, opens up communication. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. <laughs> abide in the word. Again, the power, we talked about the washing of the word. A few weeks we talked ago, we talked about the disciple in the word. We're we're abiding in me and I in the word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, we're abiding and remaining in the word. We're meditating on the word. We're internalizing the word. We're getting familiar with the word. Word. I love this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be in there. Plant that seed of the word in your heart. Let it be comfortable in you. Don't treat the word like a distant relative. His word is key to your intimate, abiding relationship. Let the word dwell in your heart, not just in your head, and move from your head to your heart, then to your hands. That's how it works. From the head, to the heart, to the hands. That's what it means to abide. And this abiding in the word, this abiding and remaining in Christ will empower your prayer life. Right? Because why? The Bible says when you pray according to his will, he will hear and answer you. John 14, 13 and 14. So how do we know his will? His will is found in the word. And we pay according to the word, we're praying according to his will. Right? James 4, 2 and 3 says, you do, not be, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Maybe you're not getting because you're, maybe you're asking with wrong motives. Maybe you're asking not to build the kingdom. Maybe you're asking to build your own kingdom. Maybe you're not asking to, to lift up Christ to get the glory. Maybe you're asking for your own glory. And so maybe you're asking a misc. Maybe you're asking with wrong intentions. right? Let me, let me give you an example, and I get this all the time. I, I, I counsel with people, and a woman says, "Well, I really love this guy, and God brought him into in my life, and I, I believe it's a gift from God, and I ask him was, well, is, "Is this person you really love and care about? Is he a believer?" Well, not really does he go to church no so the Bible says do not be unevenly yoked with unbelievers but you're telling me that God brought this gift to you yeah God's word says no right so he, God's going contrary to his truth to meet your pleasure and your desire see how easily see how easily we could twist things and we could take things wrong Listen, God's Word is our plumb line. It's our guidelines. It's what speaks the truth. We walk in truth. And so when we pray according to the truth, He will hear and answer us. But if we pray contrary to the truth, and you get mad that He doesn't answer, I'm glad there are some things that God doesn't answer in my prayers because He knows what's best. I'm grateful that God doesn't answer certain things because He sees the whole picture. See, prayers are answered when they align with his word and we walk in obedience to him. This is the true abiding in the word and in prayer. We're walking, remaining in God, we're walking with him. And our abiding, guys, our abiding relationship honors the father. Look at verse eight. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciple. A disciple honors God with his life. That's the fruit. The fruit of honor. He honors God with his life. Matthew five sixteen says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? The fruit of obedience to his word and the answer prayer brings God glory. God gets the glory in all that we do. That's the fruit that we're called to bear. Why? Because the disciple bears much fruit. Matthew seven sixteen to 20, you will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes for thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruits. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Again, go back to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by how they live. You will know them by how they speak. You will know them by how they serve. There, there's evidence of fruit in their lives. And listen, a disciple is a follower of Christ. He's not just a fan. He's not just cheering on. He's not just a bandwagon follower. Come on, come on. All right? He's looking for committed disciples. See, your transformation comes about by your abiding relationship with God. When you're abiding, God's beginning to transform you into his likeness. Paul writes, imitate God. We're called to walk in that imitation. And I close lastly with this. The work of abiding love. Right? 15, 9 through 11. A little boy would would often sneak out at night and, and he would climb down uh, I climb out his window and then climb down this, this fruit tree in his backyard and at night. And we sneak out and we head out to his friends. And the father, realizing what he was doing, said to his son, I'm going to cut down that fruit tree because it does not bear any fruit. He wanted to get rid of it so his son could get, but it's not bearing fruit. It's not bearing fruit. It's am not going to cut it down. So one night, the little boy and his friend uh, got together and they brought some apples. They bought some apples. And they brought it to the tree and they begin to tie it to, to the tree. And the next morning, the father saw the tree, and he called his wife, and he says, Honey, I can't believe it. That old tree hasn't yielded any fruit in years, and now it's covered with apples. And the most amazing thing about this tree is it's a pear tree. (laughs) Let me tell you some Love and joy are the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, and you can't fake love and joy. You can't fake it, right? The love of God should naturally be an outpouring of the disciples of Christ because they said that you'll know that you're my followers by your love for one another. So we need to have number one, continual love. But there's a continuity. Look look at verse nine. As the Father loved me, I also loved you, abide in my love. As the Father loved me, Jesus is speaking, my God loved me. And the example of love was from my Father to me, and the way I love you is the same way my Father loved me. He's, the only way he could illustrate love was to describe his relationship with his Father. This is the greatest understanding of love, and this is how I am loving you. And then he commands, and what? now abide in that love remain in the love, rest in the love, take pleasure in my love. And sometimes, guys, it's very hard to understand God's love because we we see it through the world. We see it through the lens of this world. He didn't say, I love you like a husband loves his wife or a mother loves his child or an addict loves dope. He said, I love you like my father loved me. Now, some of you might not have any fathers today, and you don't know what that means. But he's the father to the fatherless, it says in the scriptures. And he's, Jesus is saying, I want you to understand my love, but I know this love, this agape love, this abiding love is hard to understand. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter three, eighteen: may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long. And how high and how deep his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. God's love is deep and wide, and sometimes we just can't even comprehend it. Some of us don't even think we deserve it. But he loves us deeply. He's the gardener, he's the caretaker of his creation. And so because of his love, his love for us, there should be a love for him. And because of our love for him, we keep his commandments. Because keeping his commandments is the fruit of love. Look at 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. We know that Jesus never did anything unless the father told him to do it. He'd go away and pray. He'd go and seek. He'd spend time with his father. And he never, never did anything unless his father told him to do it. Right? Love is manifested, is seen when we keep his commandments. That's a sign of obedience to him. And we know that his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not there for heaviness. His commands are not these, you know, heavy Things of like, oh, God, you just, you just want to make my life miserable with all your rules. You just don't want, you're a, a killjoy. You just don't want us to have any fun. Nah. His commands are out of love. Because he knows, he knows the capacity of our wickedness. I say that because I want you to understand how dark we can get sometimes without his guidelines, without his boundaries. Some dark places that we might just go without his love his love sheds light on our own brokenness his love sheds light on our wickedness and then he says i love you in spite of all that but i want to change that and so let me give some parameters let me give some boundaries that you're going to stay you're going to stay healthy but more than that you're going to experience my greatest joy joy you've never seen before see i'm going to i'm going to give you these boundaries because in these boundaries are going to become some rewards in these boundaries are going to become some blessings in these boundaries are going to be best for you spiritually physically emotionally spiritually all these areas you're going to experience the greatest the greatest healing greatest emotion of all that god wants for you And here it is, look at verse 11. The fruit of obedience, of love, here it is, the things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Did you get that? If you have your Bible, underlined it. God's writing that your joy may be full. The teachings of Christ were, was to give you joy. Remember, he's been teaching the disciples for over three years. And when you obey my word, you're going to experience some great joy. It will be overflowing joy. Now you know this, and I know this. I hope you know this. There's a difference between joy and happiness. There's a difference. Happiness is an experience of emotions. Joy is an experience of the Holy Spirit. I want to say it again. uh, happiness is experience of emotions, joy is an experience of the spirit. Happiness will be interrupted by our circumstances, but circumstances will never interrupt joy. Right? For you Padres in L.A., L.A. Dodger fans, John, you know when that guy gets at the bat, and he's at the bat, and he hits that ball, boom, it's going to the seats, Man, he's joyful. He's, he's happy. He's running down first baseline, and then they go, foul ball. No more joy. No more happiness. Circumstances will change that, but joy will never be changed. Joy is the eye in the storm. Joy, joy is never, no matter your circumstances, situation, joy is always present when you're abiding in Christ. See, the purpose of happiness it's not joy. Joy will not be found in our possessions, in our achievements, our pleasures. Joy will only be found in abiding, obedient relationship with Christ. Notice it's joy, it's Jesus' joy being poured out into us in the passage. I give you my joy. He's pouring into you his joy. His joy is never ending. He's pouring it into your temple, he's pouring it into your cup, his joy, right? Jesus is our joy, and when we enter into his presence, we find great joy, and that's full. Look at Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life, that's his commands. In your presence is fullness of joy, is fullness of joy. Guys, I leave you with, with these three thoughts. An abiding relationship comes by understanding the roles of the Father and of the Son, of God the Father and God the Son. The vine dresser and the vine. God lifts us up, He prunes us, and He waters us. We find life in the vine. It's the sustainability. We understand and defining that relationship will get to experience great joy. Number two, an abiding relationship is key to our fruit bearing. Our fruit bearing. Remember, fruit bearing in whatever season. God gives us. What we need for the season if we're walking and abiding and resting with him. And lastly, an abiding relationship will produce great joy. There's, there's the reward. There's the blessing. The joy in this abiding relationship. So don't walk like you walk around like you just sucked up a bunch of lemons. Right? You know what I mean? Come on now. Church, let's be joyful, right? Let the world see our joy. You know what I mean? They're looking to us as a testament. They're looking to us for answers. And all the craziness that we've been through, man, we need great joy right now in the Lord. That will bear a great testimony. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. And I pray uh, this morning that, Father, as we abide in you, we'll experience your presence. We'll experience the, the, the work of the Father and the Son working in us. Father, lifting us up when we were down, pruning those things in our life that need to be removed, watering us with the word that we may be sanctified, Lord, that we might rest in the relationship with God that keeps sustaining us. Ultimately, that God, we can walk in great joy. So I pray for your people this morning. Thank you, for Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.